Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Judy Macar. Thank you. I'm Judy McGar, a compulsive overeater. And um, I want to thank everybody that does service at this meeting. And uh, Lucy called me, and Leslie called me, and Mickey's here tonight. And congratulations on the chip, and welcome to the newcomer. I have 25 years and seven months and a few odd days of continuous abstinence. And I work a very simple program. I don't get fancy with my program. I don't do anything um, fancy with my program because what happened, I had, uh, I have multiple uh, degrees <laughs> and licenses and uh, things on the wall that uh, speak of higher education. And yet I could not stop compulsively overeating. I just couldn't. I couldn't understand why I had, you know, this this physical allergy and this spiritual malady and an obsession of the mind. And no matter what I did, even, you know, when I tried my very best, numerous attempts to, you know, like in the big book of AA um, states, you know, take a trip, don't take a trip. No matter what I did, you know, went to retreats, uh, different diet programs, self-improvement, um outside help, I kept ending up with this relationship with food, which was obsessive, compulsive, and uh, caused a lot of problems in my life. So um, I'm so grateful to be here. I, uh, I'm also struck by this being recorded. I, when I first came in, I, I would get recorded, and now I hear what I had to say, and I, you know, did like fifth steps from the podium, and you know, people will come up and ask me, you know, uh, how my daughter is 25 years later. and <laughs> So I, I, I'm going to try to stay conscious that this goes all out, to, you know, all over the world. Um, and then today I went on, our other program has a flag ceremony online today. And, if, you know, I saw how people were carrying these flags for the 12-step program from all over the world, and we're very blessed by that. I've been to meetings in South Korea a couple months ago, three months ago, um, Tahiti, uh, Croatia kind of, sort of, because it's still kind of tough there. Um, on ships, I was in, traveled through China and through the gorges, and I did what I was taught to do, which was put like a little sign up if you're a friend of Bill W's, meet us in the, uh, you know, certain meeting room at such and such a time. And nobody came. My husband was there. He's in a 12-step program, and my daughter had a mercy meeting. And um, But, you know, I counted that as a meeting. <laughs> I've been on airplanes, you know, in the olden days, because uh, I'm like 58, you know, and I go way back when. I came in in 1979, but we, I used to, you know, on an airplane, I'd say, 
tell, you know, someone's a friend of Bill W.'s, tell them to come to the back of the plane, you know, because I, I, like, want to eat, like, everybody's lunch on the plane or something. And so, you know, people would come to the back of the plane, or once they sent me up to first class and said, oh, yeah, there's some people up in first class, and I was, like, so excited. We had a little meeting. So, um... I am blessed, and I keep my program simple. I meditate every day. I pray every day. I get up in the morning. I get down on my knees. I say my little prayers before I go to bed on my knees. Say my little prayers. Um, I sponsor about six women. I've had four different sponsors in the program. I think for me that's critical. I, uh, you know, have I have. You know, I call my sponsor, I work the steps, I write ten steps. I, I live in like seven and eight, and I look at my shortcomings when they come up because they don't just dissipate because I have time. But but today, you know, and then of course the traditions and the concepts I think are really important. If anybody's new and you're coming into this program, you know, for me it was so important to have a sponsor that taught me the steps and the traditions because... You know, I'm in a really happy marriage, and I have this huge family, and I really apply the traditions to my marriage and my family, and the steps, but the traditions, you know, like the tradition of what's in the highest good of the group, because even in my family, I just get a vote. I get a vote, like like in a meeting, I get a vote. If we're taking a group conscience, and I feel one way, and every and the majority feels another way, that's it. I get that vote. So... Yeah, so I keep it very simple. I have a sponsor. You know, I work the steps. I still write. I have my little books that I've traveled with, you know, for years. And, uh, you know, they they have all the years that I've read them, my daily reflections. And I get up every morning and I read my little daily reflections. And then I mark on it anything big that's going on in my life or where I am in the world or what's going on in the world. And I do that every morning. I make outreach calls uh, if if I'm getting like a little bit of a good idea that maybe isn't a good idea. I still run it past people. Um, I I I had a, a situation, and I'll, I'll I'll tell you how it was, but um, and I'll go back to how it was. But sometimes how it was lasts so long, I never get to how it is. <laughs> so, but I had this situation with somebody that uh, you know there was a, a serious problem I had with this person a few months ago, and. I wrote about it and reflected about it. And and what happened to me in this situation was I am so trained to look at my part that I kept looking at my part and I kept looking at my part and I thought, you know, when I call this person, I don't want to be defensive and I want to know from that person, what did you see as my part? And that to me is a miracle because when I came in here, I would see people that had time that were insulated. Now they were they were um, they didn't they didn't want to hear from the newcomer what did you think of me or from other people and maybe they weren't calling their sponsor as much. And I saw those people have a have a willfulness that scared me. And I learned from those people not not to judge them because they they were fine. But for me, I did not want to be insulated because I have time. I, I was so concerned with that. So when I called this person after I had this situation, after I did my writing, after I did 10 steps, after I talked to my sponsor, I said to her, I said, I, I first of all want to ask you if you are interested in 
what my experience of what happened to us was. Because if you're not, I don't need to tell you. Because what's the point? If it's not in the spirit of honesty, openness, and willingness, what is the point? Now, sometimes in life it's the point. But in this situation, you know, like again, I mean, sometimes I'll have my vote when it's not welcome, but I have my vote in, in other situations in life. But, you know... I said that, and then I said, and then I, I truly do want to hear what your experience of this was, and, and what I did, how, how I affected this, how I, you know, contributed to this. And, of course, what the person said seemed so benign. I thought, oh, that's nothing, you know, my God, I can work on that, I can fix that. And just to have that conversation, you know, and to be able to say to somebody, look, we are different we are really different, and we've grown differently, and I love you, and we are in this program together, and we need to hold on to each other no matter what over time and respect our differences. And to me, that is so powerful. That is so powerful. You know, I, even if I'm in a meeting, and, and, and I, I have a tendency to not be too judgmental. It's just my nature. It is. It's just how I was, like, came out of the chute. So, but if I go to a meeting, here's what happens, right? I'll get judgmental of someone that's judging people. Yeah. <laughs> like if you're rolling eyeballs at somebody or, you know, like some, you know how some people, I don't know if you've ever seen this at a meeting, but I'm 25 years, I go to three meetings a week generally for 25 years. You add that up, that's a lot of meetings. So, you know, if I see somebody like looking at somebody else, you know, I'm like, why is that person judging that person? We need to hear everything in this room. I mean, we need to identify, don't we? That's not right. That person's really critical. I can't believe it. Look at that, that person judging. And then I go, oh, my God, you are sitting here judging that person. So then I am moved to move down the steps. <laughs> Humbly ask God to remove my shortcoming of worrying about someone judging somebody else and becoming judgmental of that person judging somebody else, and then I'm judgmental. Real simple. I know there's, you know, some people in the program, they don't like to hear negativity. To me, the negativity is what helped me. When I hear somebody struggling, when I hear somebody not all perky, perfect, <laughs> it helps me. I, and I, again, there's a whole body of, you know, program that's perky, positive. Like when they speak, they speak about the steps. It's like a, 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 like a lesson um, for me. And see, see, some people, like, they really value that. I'm sure some people in this room value that. And, again, I respect you. However, for me, I need to know how do you get through the day. What happens when those little seemingly benign things happen to you and you're ready to, you know, go off on sugar? That's what has helped me. The little specific stories that I hold in my heart, I take you with me. When, whatever I hear you say, I take you with me. Now, with time, the other thing that's, that's, I think, interesting is there is a tendency to not identify. There's a tendency to not identify. And it becomes more critical, I believe, for me to identify with time because I am more likely to get in this, you know, resting on my laurels. So I just, no matter what anybody says, I try to identify. You don't like cats? I'll try to identify. I love cats, but I'll try to figure it out and understand if that's how you feel. Now, I say this not because 
I say this because I have been trained to understand that if I do the things I'm talking about, like get really judgmental, hold a grudge, um, not identify, I'll go back now to what it was like. This is what will happen to me. So I'm born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm born to a family where my grandmother, uh, my father's mother, had both of her legs removed due to diabetes. My stepbrother now just got a new kidney and a pancreas. That is so exciting. He had type 1 diabetes. I'm going to go visit him. He got a new pancreas. And, you know, my dad had an eating disorder. My mother had an eating disorder. My sister has an eating disorder. So... And I, of course, had an eating disorder. So from the beginning of, from when I was a little kid, my relationship with food was different. It just was. You know, I went to St. Pius the 10th school, and they would have uh, bake sales. And from, from the day I heard about that bake sale, that is all I could think about. <laughs> and there was one thing I wanted at that bake sale. And I even get, my body gets a feeling when I think about it right now. <laughs> Something comes over me, you know, that like uh, junkyard dog feeling like, you know. So there was one thing I'd think about at this bake sale, <laughs> right? And I'd think about it the whole time, every day at school, and you had to be good. And I had a tendency in grade schools, you know, I, I got like pretty bad grades in grade school for a few reasons. Um, one of which things at home were, were a little shaky. That's uh, an understatement. But, <laughs> you know, I'd go in my room and I'd say I was doing my studying and I'd turn the lights off and ride my hobby horse. And I'd just ride that hobby horse and I'd have fantasies. That's one thing food did for me. I could fantasize. I'd ride that hobby horse. I'd come out and say, how's your homework? Say, fine, done. All I was doing in there was fantasizing, riding that hobby horse, you know. So I would be really good, you, you know, So because I, I had a tendency to make, you know, jokes in class and they'd kick me out of class because, you know, I'd just be making everyone laugh. I love to make people laugh. I'm still like that. I just have a new grandson that laughs at me. I love this kid so much. He's two. He, he also sings karaoke with me. <laughs> the only family member that enjoys karaoke, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited. So... <laughs> so, you know, I remember this feeling, though. It kind of marks, you know, this disturbed relationship with food as a kid where I, you know, they'd say the bake sale's coming and uh, we're going to, and, you know, this person was going to make this special one food. And I'll tell you, from the time I heard about that bake sale, I was the best student. Study, raise my hand, not talk in class, make sure everybody knows how good I was because I was going to get that thing. <laughs> and then they would tell you, okay, comes the bake sale. And I would sit there literally in my chair. Now, this is funny and sad. Because look at the preoccupation. Look at the obsession. And I'm a kid. Now, not everybody had it when they were a kid. But I did. And I was obsessed. And when they would tell you, okay, you get to come up, I would like, my legs would shake just to get there to that thing. Just to get there to that thing, that food thing, my legs would shake. And when I would get it, everything in life was perfect. Everything in life was perfect. And that's what food did to me. Everything in life was perfect. Everything was beautiful. Everything at home was great. I was great. You were great. Everything was perfect. For the moments I could be with that food, everything was perfect. The world was perfect. But then, without the food, I had to deal with life on life's terms. And that wasn't easy for me. So, 
you know, I had the physical allergy as a kid, and I was obsessed. Oh, my goodness, I love sugar. I just love sugar, you know. My mom was a, a baker, and my grandma was a baker, and, we, you know, we baked and cooked in our family. And, and you know, fast forward to me in high school, and, uh, you know, people would wake up the next morning, oh, ha, ha, where did the stall of potatoes go? You know, I'd eat the whole casserole in the middle of the night. <laughs> Gone. And then I'd go on all these diets. and Anyhow, so what happened, you know, so, so I had the obsession very early on, but I didn't know what I had. I decided what I was going to do. I went to university, and I got a degree, and my degree had to do with, you know, fixing, fixing uh, behaviors because I figured this would, you know, fix some behaviors, not only of mine, you know, but I, I, learned, how to, I learned how to fix behaviors. And I remember in college, you know, I had, uh, I was going to, you know, I'd go on a big diet, and then I'd pack my, uh, I remember my, I had my, right beside my little, my nightstand, I had Charleston chews, a whole bunch, like 20 of them. And if I was really good for, you know, 15 days, I could eat all 20. And that's exactly what I would do. And then I'd be on a sugar, you know, mess, and, but, you know, and my life was about, my relationship with food preoccupied me. Not that, you know, I was successful, I did wonderful things, I had relationships, but, in the background was this ongoing obsession with my body. Also, I couldn't stand my body. I was, I was bigger. I weighed like 30 more pounds. I weighed like 20 less. I was anorexic. I was bulimic, bulimic non-purge. I was the whole spectrum. I was. You know, I went through periods where I was like this big. And, but my preoccupation, to me, for me, that was the biggest pathology for me, was the preoccupation. And I don't have that today. That's an incredible miracle. I do not have that today. Through the grace of God and working the steps and being in this program and going to meetings and, and making a decision. So I know I'm powerless over food. When, when I came out here, you know, I started a family. I had a degree. I was going to change everything. I had a family. I bought a house. $27,000, Manhattan Beach Tree Section. <laughs> Interest rates were high, so don't feel too badly. Um, you know, I'm going to be different, and, you know, still, here I am. You know, my body, obsession, uh, diets, um, you know. And, and I was in, I, I had this woman tell me one time, so, so she says to me, and this is in 1979, and, and, you know, I'd, I'd eat at night. I remember I'd, you know, I'd love to have, like, binge really late at night and kind of pass out like a, a beached whale. I love that feeling. Um, it kind of took me out of life. And so I, I had this woman say to me, you know, shut, shut the door. I was, I, was do, I was working in a certain business, and this woman said, well, shut, this, shut, shut the door and come and talk to me. And she said, what are you doing at night? <laughs> and I thought, why are you asking me this question? And she said, what's going on with your food? <laughs> And I thought, oh, my God, how in the world could this woman know? How could she know? And she, she brought me into OA, and I, she brought me into OA in 1979. And I saw her a few years later, and she was, you know, out there. But she brought me in in 1979, but I hadn't given up, I, haven't, I hadn't really worked. When I came in in 79, I had an agenda, and I did not relinquish my will. And so... I have 25 years because 25 years ago I was considering myself in the program, but I really wasn't. 
I was distant, you know, I felt like, ah, oh, come on, you know, Lonely Hearts Club band, I, I got things going on, you know, I'll come every so often and take a cake and tell you how great I'm doing, but just in order to, you know, get some uh, uh, false sense of self going, I guess, I don't know what I was thinking, but... Uh, so I came in, but not really, and she wanted me to do a four-step, and I said, just mind your own business, you know, why do you want to know all this stuff I do, and inventory doesn't, you know, it just didn't click. My will was still so strong, so, you know, 25 years ago, I was going back to Pennsylvania, um, just threw up a little bit of broccoli, and my friend said, you have to get open, honest, and willing, and you have to take a new date and work a program, and... Um, and I surrendered. I came in, and since that day, it has been just beyond my wildest dreams, you know, beyond my wildest dreams, a life beyond my wildest dreams. And I got a sponsor, you know, and no matter what, I worked the program, and I made that decision. And to me, that's important. The third step made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand God. I have always had faith, but my belief has changed radically over the last 25 years. Because when I came in, I still had, my will continues to transform. And every time my will transforms, my life gets better. Or I do better things in the world. You know, I'm able to be more of service in the world when my will transforms. And I know my will will transform over the lifetime, the lifespan. So when I make a decision, it doesn't mean I'm in the debating society. It doesn't mean I make that decision and then I reconsider it that day. You know, I have a general food plan that I have agreed upon with my sponsor. And if I decide tonight, which I've done over the 25 years, that I'm going to do something different, I have to call her. And I have to talk to her in person. That's the decision I have made with my sponsor in case I decide to have a really good idea. And believe me, it's happened to me with the 25 years. You know, once I was in Italy, and I hadn't had sugar, I'm, I'm not, I'm just in regular OA, but I hadn't had sugar for years, and I went to Italy, and I had the agreement, if I make a change, I will call my sponsor and talk to her. And I'm in, in Italy, and I hadn't had sugar for years, and sugar works for some people, doesn't work for me, it makes me become obsessed. <coughs> and, uh, and so, you know, I'm in Italy, and... Uh, I decided I would have sugar. I thought, well, this is a good idea. And so, you know, what I'm supposed to do is make this call. So I called the states, and I can't get a hold of my sponsor, but I got a hold of my best friend in the program, and I said, I think I should have sugar. And she told me the magic key. Can you just not have it today? The big magic key. And I thought, you know, with all my education, because this has self-knowledge, avails me nothing, nothing, zero. All my knowledge. I thought I could have sugar. So I'm like, yeah, I cannot have it for today. Came back, haven't had it. You know, at least not today. But that's how this disease works. It's cunning, baffling, and powerful. When I was in Korea, um, I couldn't figure it out. It's tomorrow in Korea. Does that make sense? <laughs> it's like I love to call my son, to, my, he's my stepson today, tomorrow, tomorrow, today. It's tomorrow for him, you know. I call him, hey, how's tomorrow? <laughs> so I'm in Korea. I took this long flight, and I'm like, okay, so my stepson's getting married. We're having this big wedding. And I'm thinking, 
tomorrow. Where, what's, how do I do my food here? If I go to the East Coast, it's pretty easy because five hours I can kind of, you know, pull it apart and make it three meals. And so I'm trying to get a hold of my sponsor because I'm calling her saying, hey, I don't know what to do. I want to have my three meals today, but it's like tomorrow. What do I do? And I just couldn't figure it out. And I thought, you know, just stay with the bet, what the three meals were. Just stay with that because I did not want to be thinking about food at my stepson's wedding. And had I decided to, like, add a meal or do something different trying to figure it out, I would have been thinking about the food during my stepson's wedding. That's what I would have been thinking about. It would have looked like I was thinking about the wedding, but I would have been thinking about food. And I don't have to live like that today. And that comes from the third step, which is that making a decision. You know, sometimes I, you know, work with people and they make a decision, they call me, it's like, what happened to the decision? What happened to the third step? You know, didn't we make this decision together? And then I, I really also say to people I sponsor, this is for your welfare and your high, your highest good. Do you understand that? I mean, that's kind of, you know, this is not like, nothing is imposed on me. I could leave her today, go party, gain 80 pounds, no one, you know, this is for me. This is for the quality of my life and for my sanity. So I make that decision, and then, of course, I've done four steps and admitted to God, to myself, and another human being, and done that fifth step. And six and seven, you know, I live, I live in six and seven, and it says in six, it says we're entirely ready. It doesn't say, ah, you know, stand there, think about it, give it some time. I mean, readiness, like we're entirely ready. Like, that means... <laughs> and I, I'll tell you, I live my life by that, that entirely ready because, and because I, you know, I still, I still get afraid. And, you know, like I had to sign a contract on Monday. And I looked at that contract and I kind of, I used the steps, you know. I wanted to sign that contract. I understood that contract. And I was entirely ready to sign that contract. That's how many just doesn't want to sign it. I just want to put it off. Just don't want to do it. Can't do it. Paralyzed. Can't do it. Sorry. Can't. Just can't do it. But what I've learned here is to take the next indicated step. So even if I'm not ready, if I claim I'm ready, I'm ready. And I signed it. And I, I live my life by that. You know, I get so much done in life beyond my wildest dreams as far as accomplishments in my life and with the people I love because I just take the next indicated step. That is so powerful. You know, I, it, it's, it's not my profession. My profession is something different, but I paint. And I paint these canvases that take me a year because they're glazed paintings, this real old kind of classic method. And I just put a little dot at a time. And sometimes I'll look at an eyeball on a 48 by 36 canvas, and I think, this eyeball doesn't look right. And I can spend three weeks on an eyeball, because all you have to do is put a white dot somewhere, and that eyeball looks different. And I keep putting that brush on the canvas, and before you know it, I have this body of work. And that's what, what I am here tonight for me. I'm a body of work that has shown up no matter what, that has paid attention to the detail of this, the program, meaning the steps, that certainly pays attention to you and respects what you have to say, especially the newcomer, 
especially the newcomer. You know, you're the lifeblood of this program. I love the newcomer because I learn so much from you. So, nine and ten, you know, so I make this, do my inventory, and I do the ninth step, and or the, you know, I write down all these amends that I have to make, and a lot of my amends were about me being preoccupied, me not being able to show up over food. I had a party for somebody, you know, part of why I'm, part, this, I had a party for somebody 25 years ago in July, 26 years ago in July, and I couldn't make it to the party I was having for this person because I was so involved in my preoccupation. And that kind of shame where I'm, I want to show up and I'm trying to show up, but I'm busy with food or my relationship with food, that's, that is insanity. And that happened to me a lot. So, so I did, you know, a lot of my amends were letting people know that I wasn't fully there, that I was preoccupied, that maybe I seemed like I was there, but I, I wasn't really there. And 11 and 12, you know, I, again, I pray and meditate. I, I, when I was a little kid, you know, I was uh, in a, again, I really always felt pretty close to God. But the only thing that changed for me with my relationship with God in the program is when I came in, I believed that, that if I was good, that all these good things were going to happen to me. And when I came in, you know, my, I, I had been in a marriage, and it was beyond on the rocks, this marriage was dead. We actually went to a therapist, and she said, you're like bringing me a dead dog. Yeah. You know? <laughs> 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 not a good therapist, but that's what she said. And, you know, she was right, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it was dead. It was dead. We were different. We were different. Irreconcilable. Irreconcilable differences. Oh, my. So I came into the program, you know, and um, I believe, you know, my dad was still alive. Uh, my mom had passed away. I believed if I was good, pay the taxes, raise my hand, sit up straight, listen, stand in line, don't get in front of anybody, don't tell a lie, you know, <laughs> tell the truth, you know. Somebody, do you like my dress? No. I used to work at this place, and they said, you have cash register honesty. And I'm like, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> I still can't quite figure that statement out. Maybe someone enlighten me afterwards. But anyhow, you know, be good, be good, be good, and all these good things will happen. And then things didn't happen like that. And so I went through a bit of a battle with, uh, you know, my higher power because I was good. I was good, you know, and I had one of my best friends. She passed away. She had cancer. Baby Best, she was on the program. We both had daughters the same age. You know, went to meetings, she got cancer, and we'll be like, oh, you're so good, you're going to be fine. I mean, why wouldn't you be? You're good. <laughs> you know? And what happened when, when that happened, when she passed away, I really, rem I really learned that I do have the faith to get through anything. You know, my daughter had her bumps. She's great. She's, you know, successful right now. She's, she lives five minutes away. We have a great time. But at that time, she was 14. And there were some bumps. And I'd be like, God, come on, you know, where are you? Pay attention. Things are happening down here. So what that gave me was humility and remember that my will is limited. And what I didn't do, what I didn't do is get into the food. 
That's the miracle. That I didn't decide to just, you know, hunker down with, you know, a bunch of donuts and pies and hide out and think and believe and pretend that somehow if I ate these things that life would be different or better. And to me that's a miracle. Because when I ate, you know, my first inventory, what I realized is when I ate I had fantasy. Eating and fantasy went hand in hand. So fast forward, you know, I have all these years, I go to meetings. In the last year, I have a friend, 90 years old, and she is in a nursing home right now. I go visit her like every week. She's been somebody I've known in the program for 25 years. I have another person that uh, I love very dearly um, that, that I've known for 25 years. These are people that knew my kids, knew my kids growing up, saw me get remarried in the program. I got married to this man that's, you know, beyond my wildest dreams. He's a good man. He, he is such a good man. Hard worker. Funny. Uh, you know, he's even surfing. He's like 55. Yeah, he's surfing. Um, and, and my other friend, you know, she came down with Alzheimer's, and we used to go to the opera. I had season opera tickets, and, you know, she was a sociologist, professor, all this other stuff, you know, and I watched her brain just fry. And I helped pack up her house about two, three months ago, helped pack up her house so she could move into this assisted living. And so these are like two really big losses for me recently. But the remarkable thing is I really can show up. I can show up in these situations. I can show up for people I love. I write them letters. I go visit my friend June. You know, um, I do as I'm told. We couldn't really tell my one friend she was going into a nursing home because she would get agitated and everything. So, um, this past month, my stepson got married in Atlanta. And we had the responsibility of the rehearsal dinner. And there were like 155 people there. And I'm 58 years old. And I uh, wanted to learn hip-hop because I don't want to stop being modern. (laughs) So I started taking hip-hop lessons every week, like four years ago. And uh, I danced hip-hop, and I danced with all these young people, and then my other stepson just has, he has a two-year-old and a seven-month-old, and they were here last week from Korea, and I taught his wife how to make a buttercream cake, which I didn't touch, because I wouldn't be here tonight if I did. We went to barbecue, and I ate an abstinent meal, because I wanted to be there for my daughter-in-law and my little stepson and my little step-grandchildren. And I get to be Nana today, and not when I'm looking in my little step-grandson's eyes thinking about pie, but I get to think about him. And if it weren't for the steps, I could not do that. If it weren't for this program, I could not do that. The last, having had a spiritual awakening, I started a meeting three years ago, uh, VRC, that's where it is now. It's called Our Bottom Line. And I started the meeting, and I started over at Clara Foundation. I turned up every week. And another person would come, and I'd read the format and have a mercy meeting. You know, somebody would kind of have a mercy meeting with me. 
went there week after week after week after week, and then I moved it over to the VRC. And this morning I was at that meeting, and somebody said, this couple people at the meeting said, oh, this meeting's so cool. See, I'm not cool and I'm not popular. So that happened on its own. And that meeting is kind of packed. And what happened is just one person came in and she knew a lot of people and she brought all those people. So there I am for a year sitting there by myself, sometimes with nobody, having my meeting. And three years later, this meeting is a strong, incredible meeting. If you're here and you're new, there's great hope here. You know, I pick up the phone before I take the action. I pick up the phone and I talk to somebody. And that is so powerful. And when I call somebody, what I know is I'm helping them as much as they're helping me. So welcome to the newcomer. Welcome to the CHIP people. And I hope we all keep coming back. Thanks.